Class is in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshake. Let's go! Now, let's start the show. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 73 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Now, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by my very first sponsor, which is Gainsbox. Now, Gainsbox is a box of the month club specifically designed for those interested in all things weight training. If you're a weightlifter, a powerlifter, a crossfitter, or you just love going to the gym and lifting some big weight, this box was designed for you and your interests. Every month, they send out a box to your doorstep with a different mix of things like workout apparel, like new shirts or shorts, different supplements, training gear, or equipment. The last box that I got had a BCA energy drink in it with no sugar um, and had some pre-workout powder supplement with, I believe, 10 servings, which isn't bad at all for a box, and uh, a shaker bottle and a shirt from the sponsoring supplement company. So overall, things most of us who drink caffeine before a workout would use on a daily basis. So if you go onto their website, thegainsbox.com, and use the code SQUATUNIVERSITY, all one word, not two, when you subscribe, you'll receive a special bonus box valued at $70. So that's the code SQUATUNIVERSITY on thegainsbox.com. So on to today's episode. In this episode of the podcast, I want to go over in detail how I warm up for the Olympic lifts. So if you consider yourself an Olympic weightlifter, if you're a CrossFitter who does any of the Olympic lifts, or you just train by yourself and you've enjoyed starting to do some more of the Olympic lifts, a snatch and the clean and jerk, this episode is very specifically for you. Now, when you're looking around the internet at different things that you can use to warm up and prime your body, it can get really overwhelming because there's so much stuff out there. There's so many options, different authorities telling you, hey, warm up with this, warm up with this. Think about it like this. If you go to a fancy restaurant, do you order every single thing from the menu? Of course not. When you're looking at the menu, you're breaking up your meal into usually three areas. You're getting an appetizer, you're getting an entree, and you're getting a dessert, right? You're not ordering every single entree, every single dessert. You're picking one of each. The same goes for warming up. That's the mindset you should have when it comes to picking and choosing how you're warming up. Now, the first step to creating a proper warm-up is to define your training goal for the day. Obviously, for this podcast, we're talking about Olympic lifting, so our goal is to create a proper warm-up for the snatch in the cleaning jerk. Usually, it's going to be very similar between the two. Now, step two is then going to be to create a warm-up that will help positively influence that goal. And if we leave it out, if we leave that part of the warm-up out, it's going to negatively impact our lift. You see, when a lot of strength conditioning coaches or especially physical therapists talk about warming up, they often come at it with an injury prevention mindset. They're like, let's put this into your warm-up, let's put this into your warm-up because it's going to help decrease your risk for injury. And I think when you come at it from that mindset and that perspective, you get a lot of athletes that automatically tune you out. You know, you're thinking, hey, I'm a nice, strong athlete. I don't have any injury. Why do I need to think about injury prevention? I'm geared for performance. Well, here's the deal. When we include a proper warm-up, it's not only going to improve your performance, 
but it's also as a side effect going to have a decreased risk for injury for you. But the goal during the warm up is not just to decrease risk for injury. It's all about performance. I understand it. In my years of weightlifting, that's what my mindset has always been going into it. So when we come at it from the right perspective of improving your movement quality and allowing you to perform better, the side effect is going to be decreased risk for injury. So understand how those two factors actually interplay together with a proper warm-up. Now, if you've been in the sport of Olympic weightlifting for a long time or you've been a coach for a long time, you'll understand that optimal technique leads to improved performance. Sure, there's always going to be some athletes out there that you can point to as an example of, hey, that athlete has this movement problem or that movement problem, but they're still lifting big weight and they're performing well. For the most part, that's not going to be the rule. That's the exception. For most people, great looking technique is going to lead to improved performance. And the better your technique is, the greater potential you have to perform at a greater level. So let's break up our warm-up into three different parts in relation to what specific factors we need to improve our technique, to create optimal technique when performing both the snatch and the clean jerk because the different factors of those lifts are going to be very similar even though they're slightly different movements. First, we have to have optimal soft tissue mobilization. We need to have those tissues gliding and moving well so we don't have any mobility restrictions. We also need to have sufficient joint mechanics as far as the mobility of each joint. And then you need to have control of each joint. So you need to have stability. So there's three different areas that we're going to look at today as far as how to craft together a proper warm-up. So for example, When you're performing a snatch, what do we need? Let's break down the snatch. Envision it in your mind. You obviously need to be able to receive the barbell in that bottom position. That's where you're going to have a lot of demands. You need excellent ankle mobility. You need excellent hip mobility. You need a strong and stable core. And then you also need sufficient shoulder thoracic spine mobility to get your arms overhead. And then lastly, you need a lot of stability of that entire shoulder complex to maintain that proper bar position and so you can hold that bar overhead and not have it wobble around. So obviously, there's a lot of different factors that we need to understand when it comes to crafting a proper warm-up so that we can address all those areas of ankle, hip, upper body mobility, and then stability at those areas as well that overlay over the top of them. So let's throw out some ideas. The first bottom part, obviously, we need that proper ankle mobility. If you don't have ankle mobility, something up the chain is going to compensate. Knees are going to cave in. Your chest is going to come forward. That bar is going to have to go somewhere in order for you to try to stay balanced. I find more often than not, limited ankle mobility is one of the number one weak links that limit good depth and proper technique with the snatch and obviously just the clean uh, of the Olympic lifts. I think one of the biggest reasons isn't necessarily because weightlifters wear their weightlifting shoes all the time because I do not think that weightlifting shoes create ankle stiffness. But what happens is that if you never squat or perform even a bar warm up where you're just doing an overhead squat without your weightlifting shoes on, it can often expand. Uh, basically hide and cover up a problem in ankle mobility because you've never exposed your body to a position where those limitations can be illuminated. So if you are an Olympic weightlifter, you're a CrossFitter, you're trying to do any of the snatches and cleaning jerks we're talking about today, 
My goal for you is that often throughout your day, you should be sitting in a deep body weight squat without shoes on. And you should perform your first like set of just like an open barbell overhead squat or clean. So basically do, do your front squat without any shoes on to really expose the ability to sit down into a deep squat free of restrictions at that ankle joint. If you can't do that, that's definitely something you need to work on. So what limits ankle mobility? This is obviously something I've talked about in depth in a number of other podcasts and on social media content, but we've got limited gastroc and soleus, more so your soleus muscles, soft tissue extensibility, um, the limited flexibility of those muscles. Um, Something like that can be worked out with foam rolling, with some stretching. You could have a joint restriction in the way that the bones are moving, the talus bone sliding and moving over the top of your tibia bone or vice versa, basically. So doing banded joint mobilizations can be helpful for that. This isn't something that I want to go to in depth today because I've talked about it so much in other areas, but understand that ankle mobility is key for a proper receiving position in both the snatch and the clean and jerk. So let's go up to the next area. You've obviously got the hips that need to be very mobile as well. If you don't have sufficient hip mobility, it's going to limit your ability to receive that barbell. Now, you could have imbalances in internal versus external rotation. Those are other things that we can look on squatuniversity.com under the blog article tabs to really find a lot of in-depth areas to work on with those of exposing and fixing that. But let's talk about some practical application for hip and ankle mobility. The one exercise that I do every single time that I'm warming up for snatch, for clean and jerk, is the deep goblet squat stretch. Basically, you're just going to grab a plate. I often grab just a 10 kilo plate, so 22 pounds. If you're at the gym, find a 25 pound plate. If you're at more of a CrossFit gym that deals with pound plates, grab a kettlebell, grab a dumbbell, something that's going to offset your body weight. It doesn't need to be very heavy, but it needs to be often heavier than like 10 pounds. You're just going to use that, hold it right out in front of you, and sit as deep as you can. Now, do this with your shoes off. You're going to sit as deep as you can into a deep squat. That weight that you're holding is going to offset your body weight so that you can really sink into a good stretch. From there, after you've stretched your hips out a little bit, maybe a 10-second hold, you're then going to swivel your hips and drive one knee over your toes. Now, make sure it's directly over your toes. I've seen a lot of people do this stretch, and when they swivel, they let their knee cave in. Every single time you mobilize a part of your body, whether that's a stretch or an ankle or like a banded joint mobilization, you want to use the mechanics that are going to carry over to your movement patterns you're trying to improve. So you don't want to stretch your ankle joint or those muscles on the backside of the ankle with using a stretch where your knee's caving in because then you're just teaching your body how to get more flexibility with a poor mechanical position. So when you stretch your ankle and drive that knee over your toe, make sure your knee is pointing over like your second, third, fourth toe. You want it pushing out and in line with the angle of your foot. If you're doing this correctly, you should feel a good stretch in the backside of your calf, usually more so uh, down towards the Achilles area. Something like this, I'm usually holding for about 5 to 10 seconds and then I come back and I swivel back and forth. And I'm doing this maybe 5 to 10 times, depending on how stiff I am that day, on each side. So not only am I getting a good deep squat stretch for my hips, but then I'm swiveling side to side and really stretching those ankles out. Now, if you are wanting to get a good visual of this, go on my YouTube page. I put up a video um, a couple weeks ago called The Greatest 
warm-up, I believe, for the squat, so check that out. Um, but this is something I do every single time. If when you are doing the ankle stretch component of this, in driving one knee over the toe, you feel a pinch or a block sensation in the front side of your ankle. That's usually significant of a joint restriction. So what I would do is do banded joint mobilizations for that ankle joint first and then hop over to this. Usually a, a joint restriction, that pinch or block sensation in the front side of the ankle will not be alleviated with stretching of the back side of the calf muscles and fascial tissues. You have to uh, change the way the joint is moving and that usually requires a very heavy band for a banded joint mobilization. So that is going to be one of the first things I do. Sometimes I'll do a little foam rolling depending on how stiff I feel, especially of my ankles. I like getting on the quads and on the inside of the adductor muscles, those groin muscles. But for sure, no matter what, I'm doing a deep goblet squat stretch hitting the ankles, hitting the hips. And as I'm doing that, here's another thing I do. Usually that first stretch of the day, I feel pretty stiff. So my stance is a little bit more narrow than where ideally I want to receive that barbell. So what I'm doing is while I'm stretching my hips and my ankle with this part of the stretch, I'm also slowly widening my stance. Because for a lot of people, they have, especially people with those narrow pelvis and narrow hips, we want to receive that barbell in a little bit more of a wider position than how we take off. So your stance versus your receiving position for most people is going to be a little bit wider. You're going to see people jump or slide or move their feet wider during the reception of the clean or the snatch. So work those feet trying to get them a little bit wider and I promise it's really going to help open those hips up so that when you do get under the barbell, you're going to feel like you're going straight into a good position. So that's hips and ankles. The next thing I'm doing personally is the McGill Big Three. Core stability is key for any of the lifts that you're doing. And research has shown that a more stable core is going to allow you to produce more power from your extremities. So if I prime core stability, then it's going to allow me to perform better. That's obviously our end goal. The McGill Big Three is the modified curl up, a side plank, and the bird dog. Now, if you do all three of those, it can take some time if you're doing like a full descending rep pyramid. Usually, I'm just doing like a set of four to six of each for a 10-second hold. This does not need to take a long time. If you're doing a recovery day or doing some training on your own and you have a lot of time, sure, you can do a lot of these. But again, before training, I don't want to spend a lot of time doing each one of these things. We want to be efficient and effective with our exercises that we're doing before our warm-up so that we can get to the barbell. So the McGill Big Three, curl up, side plank, uh, bird dog, you're going to do four to six of those for about a 10-second hold. Again, if you want a good visual for these, go on my YouTube page, uh, check out the McGill Big Three. I believe the video is called Do These Three Core Exercises Every Day. Okay, so that's lower body and core. What do we need to do next? Obviously, the snatch and the clean and jerk bring a very different type of requirement to the movement, the demands are different than just doing a squat. We need to have a lot of upper body mobility and stability as well. So what do we need to do? We need to be able to have good flexibility, the pecs, the lats, the thoracic spine. Here's a simple test you can do. You're just going to sit by a wall, um, sit with your legs crossed, grab a PVC pipe. If you don't have a PVC pipe, just have your hands straight out in front of you. But I want you to put your palms down facing the ground. And then you're just going to raise your arms as high as you can over your head, try to be in that same position you would be in arm-wise uh, for a jerk. So don't have them really close together, but a little bit out shoulder width. 
Can you get your hands all the way to the wall? If you could, now turn your palms up. So you're going to externally rotate your shoulders and then go arms all the way to the wall. If you had a deficit and an inability to get your arms all the way to the wall with your palms up in that excellently rotated position, it's showing you that you just uncovered a little bit of an upper body mobility issue that could hinder sufficient technique and optimal technique with the snatch receiving position and with your jerk. Now, me personally, I have a problem with lat flexibility. So what I often do is I'll do that test real quick just to sort of see where I'm at during the day. I will start off with eccentric curl-ups. Basically, find that pull-up bar. Your palms are going to be facing you. Now, why is that important? We are going to externally rotate our shoulders. Your lats are powerful internal rotators of your shoulder joint. And if you have done a lot of pulling, a lot of deadlifting, um, those lats are often going to be pretty stiff. And if you can't externally rotate your shoulder, you're going to have a problem in allowing your arm to get overhead properly. Because if you look at the actual the actual mechanics of the shoulder joint, your shoulder needs to externally rotate a sufficient amount for the bones to clear themselves and it'll move properly so that you can get your arm overhead. So we need sufficient external rotation. So lat flexibility with the eccentric curl up, palms are facing you, jump up to the top portion of a pull-up and you're going to slowly lower yourself about five seconds into the bottom. A lot of people will automatically jump to stretching or soft tissue work when it comes to improving lat flexibility. But what I found is that eccentric uh, lengthening of the muscle under tension can be very helpful at improving flexibility as well. There's a couple research articles I link online under my blog, How to Improve Lat Flexibility, that you can check out if you're the science nerd like myself, um, where they really show that eccentrics can be helpful at improving muscle length and flexibility. So I usually do about three to five of those. So jump up to the top, hold for a second, slowly lower into that bottom pull-up position, palms facing myself. Usually it'll bring out a good stretch in that lateral armpit area. Jump off. I like to do the PVC pipe box lat stretch next. So my hands are in like a V position. Again, externally rotating at the shoulder. My elbows are up onto a box. I'm kneeling by that box and I'm just leaning back. I'm sinking into it. My back is rounded a little bit to get a good stretch for my lats. Not only am I putting them on stretch at its insertion at the arm bone, my humerus, but it's also because the lats insert all the way down at your pelvis region, your low back. If we round our back during this lat stretch, it's going to give us a good stretch in both positions. So it's a little bit more effective for the lats than arching your back like when you're doing the PVC pipe box stretch for your thoracic spine. So usually I will do both of those. And again, how do you know if you're being efficient and effective with your flexibility work? Simple. Test retest. You don't have to be an Ivy League college researcher to do your own scientific approach to figuring out what's effective for your body. You do the wall stretch, then do some of these mobility exercises I'm talking about. Do that eccentric curl up. Have your palms face you. Jump up to the top of the pull-up position and slowly lower all the way down until you feel a good stretch. Hang for a couple seconds. Do five of those. Directly retest that wall test with the PVC pipe and see if you can get your arms all the way to the wall. If you notice an improved uh, motion and ability to get your arm closer to the wall, there you go. You just uncovered a mobility exercise that is effective for your body. So now that I have the mobility out of the way, what do we need to do? We also need to improve some stability work 
for the shoulder and the shoulder complex. Now, when it comes to priming shoulder stability, I've recently been a very big fan, especially on my snatch day, of doing single arm snatches, just a few of them, during my warm-up before I grab the barbell. And there's a couple reasons for this. First off, often as weightlifters, we do everything with both of our hands. If you think about it, if you're doing a press, if you're doing a pull, if you're doing a snatch, a jerk, we have two hands on the bar all the time. Well, often what happens is that it can cover up deficits in weak links in stability. Just like if someone only ever does double leg squats and they never do a single leg squat, it could cover up an inability to stabilize your body properly on one leg, which could lead to some knee pain. Sometimes it's hidden basically that you have a problem because you're always doing things on two legs. But these small micro movements that are so hard to visualize on two legs are still causing problems that are coming out in your two-legged lifts. So I have really enjoyed doing a lot of single arm strength and stability work prior to grabbing the barbell, and I felt that it has helped carry over to better performance when I do grab the barbell. I like using the kettlebell recently for doing some single arm snatches. Um, I'll put up a post in a few weeks, hopefully, on some single arm kettlebell snatch technique work so you can get a good visual of this, but I've really enjoyed looking at uh, kettlebell kings. They have some good quality technique and movement um, tips on their Instagram. So check out Kettlebell Kings for that. What I've been using personally is a 32 kilo kettlebell. It weighs about 70 pounds. Start at that shoulder joint, go into my swing, straight up into the snatch, and I'm holding it for a couple seconds. Recently, I've just done maybe two to three sets of like three reps. So this does not take a long time. And just holding it up there after that, I feel the posterior shoulder muscles working pretty well. And I promise you, when you get to your full snatches with the barbell, all of a sudden you're going to notice that your turnover is going to be that much more powerful. It will also expose issues in side to side like we're talking about. I've noticed that in my misses with a snatch or in my misses with a jerk, often my left side is having issues in locking out or I'll be a little bit more forward on that side. And when I'm doing my single arm snatches as my warm-up, it's much harder for me to do a single arm snatch on my left side. Well, if I can expose those problems with the single arm movement during my warm-up and then work to fix it, really work on improving that pull with that left arm in that turnover and stabilizing and catching and trying to create as much tension with that punch of the barbell or the kettlebell during that warm-up, it's going to carry over to better performance and better movement quality when I do grab the barbell. Now, I'm obviously using kettlebells. You can use a dumbbell. I would recommend trying to find a dumbbell that has a spinning handle if you can. Aleko just came out with some dumbbells that have spinning handles. Obviously, there's going to be others on the market that do that, but that's going to be helpful as well. Doing a single arm snatch with a dumbbell that does not have a spinning handle can just be hard sometimes on your wrist joint. That's why all the barbells that we train with for Olympic lifting spin so well. And if you've ever tried to do a snatch with a barbell that does not spin well, you know what I'm talking about. It just makes the entire lift more difficult because the barbell is not moving as it should. So same thing comes with the dumbbells if you're trying to do a single arm snatch as well. Now, all of that put together, that takes me roughly 20 minutes. And then I grab the barbell and start doing a few warm-ups, and then it's time to put weight on the bar. So let's go through that again. I walk into the gym. Usually I may be doing a little bit of dynamic sort of non-specific work 
coming into this. If I if I'm at work, I've already been walking a lot treating patients at that time, so I'm a little bit more warmed up. If it's my first workout of the day and I have not been seeing patients that day, I may jump on a bike for a couple minutes just to get some blood flowing. But I walk into the gym, I'm grabbing usually a plate, I'm sitting in that deep squat, I'm priming ankle mobility, I'm priming hip mobility. I get up, I'm usually doing a little bit of core work, the McGill Big 3, a set of four to six of each, 10 second holds. Then I'm doing some lat flexibility work with the eccentric curl up, the box lat stretch. And then I'm also doing some kettlebell one arm snatches to improve my stability and also work my control in that overhead position. Then I grab the barbell, shoes off, do a couple overhead squats, and then I'm ready to go and put some weight on. Now, a proper warm-up does not mean selecting everything from the warm-up menu. Obviously, like I've talked about, there are going to be a number of different exercises that I will share on Squaw University that you will see across social media. Especially if you don't have time, you should not be trying to do a lot in your warm-up. You want to find one or two exercises that are right for your body from each of those categories we addressed today that are going to address your weak links. I talked about goblet squat stretching, the McGill Big 3, and then a little bit of upper body mobility and stability work. You want to find what your body needs individually to prime yourself efficiently for great performance. I shared what I do. Yours may look a little bit different, and that's okay. We want to do what your body needs. So that's why that test retest, a little bit of trial and error to see how you feel afterwards is really going to take some time, but it's going to be helpful for you to optimize your performance. When you do find that good warm-up, that includes a piece of each of those factors that fits your individual needs, you will maximize your performance and decrease your risk of injury as a side effect, which is going to allow you to not only lift some big weight, but to continue to lift some big weight for the rest of your life. And that is what it's all about. So that is it for today's podcast. I hope the content in here could be helpful for you to understand how to better prime your body for a warm-up so you can perform well and do so for a long time. If you did enjoy today's podcast, hit me up at Twitter at Squat University and let me know what you thought, if there's any ideas for things you would like to learn about in future podcasts. Um, but again, thank you so much for checking out today's show. It really means a lot to me to have you sit down, whether you're driving in the car, walking the dog, sitting in the office and listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me to have you listen to the content that I'm producing uh, with this podcast and just check out all the stuff that I do with Squat University. It really means a lot to me. So until next week, guys, happy squatting. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.